the word. Thank you, Jeremiah and Melissa. Well done. Thank you at worship too, Sonny and team. Just really nice. You guys, you guys uh, have really nice smiles. You know, that's why one reason I love to preach is just to look at, see your smile. So nice. How come some of you stop smiling? <laughs> so here's uh, something, a story that Brenda told me. It's kind of funny. She was, um, she it was happened last year, and she was taking care of grandson Luke, and he was five at the time. He wasn't eating his soup that he had asked for. You ever make something for a kid that asks for something and then they don't eat it? Well, that's what was happening. And then, so then Luke asked the question. Grandma, are there amoebas and paramecium's in my soup? <laughs> and Grandma Brenda says, "No, Para- amoebas and paramecium's would would never survive how hot this soup got before I served it to you." He still wouldn't eat soup. Five minutes goes by. Finally, he said, "Grandma, I don't want to eat dead amoebas and paramecium's." <laughs> got a kick out of that. And those of us that are married to moms recognize when we drive and things related to cars, there's sometimes a difference of feelings and a difference of habits related to driving in cars. Have you noticed that? I have. And uh, so here is one little cameo that expresses that. I thought you might enjoy seeing it. Yeah, some of you are identifying with that, right, too. <laughs> I'd like to read uh, with you the account that we'll be looking at today as we, um, as we talk about um, mothers and revival. And our, our, uh, our Revive Us Again series continues through the month of May. And uh, here it is, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. It's rather lengthy. Listen carefully because we'll be referring to it in the talk today. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Title of the message today is Listen Up. This Mother's Day message will be a great blessing to you as well. Or 
thriving spiritual motherhood. Thriving spiritual motherhood. So I'm going to focus today. First talking point of the two. Spiritual motherhood thrives best in a context of a thriving spiritual Jesus life. I want us to be reminded that as much as we honor our biological moms on this day, that even more important than biological moms are spiritual moms. Moms that help get all of us well to heaven. Moms that invest in our lives spiritually. And that includes certainly biological moms. But one of the, one of the, necess, one of the necessary elements and components of a, of a uh, revival culture of an apostolic culture, and really those two are the same, of a true apostolic culture are moms and dads that are spiritual moms and dads that, that authentically and with genuine love and care reach out and minister and serve and do our best to be a blessing to everybody in the church life and uh, see them prosper as sons and daughters no matter how old you are or young you are, God is a calling on your life to be a spiritual mom or spiritual dad. I want to make the observation that thriving spiritual motherhood has a serendipitous dimension to it. And you know, serendipity is based on a story of a king that sent out his three sons, three princes, to do a single task of being an emissary to another country, an ambassador, ambassadors to another country, to go there and make a visit and bring back news. And the king's motive was to, was to reach out to this country. So he sent his three sons on the, on the mission. And they achieved the mission, but on the way, each of them discovered something that was way more valuable, important, and a blessing that than the mission itself. And you know, you moms that are here, you spiritual moms, biological moms, you have an attentiveness and an intentionality. You've worked hard as moms and you continue to work hard as moms. And that's so, so very important in your, that your investment, God is blessing your investment. But there's also this dimension to being an effective spiritual mom and that is being a part of a, apostolic culture, being a part of an, a revival culture, there is a serendipity dimension to this in that, in that as you seek Jesus Christ and are on fire for Jesus Christ, as you welcome the anointing of the Holy Spirit and are sold out to respond to the leading and the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit in your life, as you look to, up to God and see God is love and he is so for me, as you are, you are fully energized by the fire of revival, the fire of God in your personal life journey, you're going to find something. As you pursue that, you're going to find yourself, and we as a church culture, as an apostolic culture, are going to find our, our moms thriving. Our biological moms thriving in effectiveness and encouragement in joy and optimism, positivity. 
and our spiritual moms. Just fully expressing Jesus' life in their calling as a spiritual mom. It's going to happen. More and more. Already is happening. Giving definition, observation about what's already happening. Let's read that. I'm going to go back through the passage we read. 2 Timothy 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I want you to know this. Every time you see an apostle in the New Testament make reference to something that he is doing, he is making a declaration about what is normative, what is the new normal for an apostolic culture. You want to know what a true apostolic culture is, a New Testament culture, a full-on revival culture in a church in a church situation is you look at what the New Testament says the apostles did and recognize that they define what a revival culture is and that's what we're going after. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's about to say something about New Song Church. By the will of God, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. I'm just going to say a couple things about this verse and then move on. I want to make this observation that a church that is effective, successful, and a blessing and an apostolic favor onto their city and onto their world is rooted is planted in the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Planted in the promise. We are deeply, deeply enmeshed in the promise of the New Testament, the promise of the gospel, the promise of what it means to be a new covenant with Jesus Christ. And one of the blessings that comes from that is... You have beloved sons. I think it's significant that Paul does not say to Timothy, my beloved son. In the Greek, it is not a, a, a personal possessive pronoun. He doesn't say, some versions actually put that in there, impose it into the text. He, but he is not saying to Timothy, my son. He's saying that, but he's saying a son because I think he wants to include grandma Lois and Mother Eunice. You're a beloved son of them too. You are a beloved son in this place. You know what? You are a beloved son and a beloved daughter in this house. And it's not just because Brenda and I, or Jeremiah and Melissa, or other pastors and leader types, elder types in our fellowship care about you as fathers and mothers. There is a whole... There's a whole... apostolic experience of spiritual parenting, mothering and fathering that pervades and permeates the environment, the context, the life of this church, the Jesus life of New Song Church. And I, I think that Jesus life is a good definition for a church, don't you? We're just a supernatural Jesus life. Church isn't a building. The church isn't an audience with a 
pastor preaching or worship leaders preaching. The church is a thriving, roiling, (laughs) bubbling over, filled with the Holy Spirit fully, never apathetic, never bored, always full-on excited, experience of resurrection Jesus life. That's who we are. And out of that, this Bible verse that we just read teaches us gifts emerge. Apostle means sent. The Apostle Paul was sent out of Jesus' life to be an apostle. You are sent. You are an apostle of something. You are a sent one. Apostle means sent one. You are a sent one into the unique area of Jesus' expression that he's called you to. So am I. It's unique. And it's you. But also, what this supernatural Jesus life sponsors out of us is for all of us an experience of being fathered and mothered, which is beautiful. It's accepting. It's loving. It's tender. But also of embracing that identity to serve others. So, one of the best things we can do to serve moms is to be more and more on fire as a revival apostolic culture. That's just the living truth based on this verse. It happened for Timothy's mom, Eunice, which I love the meaning of her name, means good victory. She lived it out. She had lived out a good victory. She lived in Lystra. Her husband was a was not a believer. Don't, we don't know if he ever did become a believer. Hope so. Didn't stop her. She had good victory. She had a she had faith dwelling in her. She had a mother named Lois. Lois means beautiful and superior. Best mom ever. <laughs> so she had her mom. She had herself. She lived in. Lystra, Paul goes there on his first missionary journey, heals a guy that had a, had, that was disabled in his feet since birth. Guy stood up and walked. Everybody in town knew he'd been disabled since birth. So there was a shaking up and the preaching of the gospel reached grandma and Grandma Lois and Mom Eunice. And man, even little boy Timothy at the time. I love these names. Eunice means good victory. Lois, her mom, means beautiful and superior. Timothy means one who honors God. I mean, there's a revival in this old family here. (laughs) He sees this. Miracle, and it makes a deep impression on his young mind and heart. He gets good saved. Sorry, Dad, you're not going along with the program. Maybe you will someday, but we're, we're going for it here. And then the Apostle Paul gets persecuted in Lystra, 
get stoned and people thought he was dead. What does that mean? I want to suggest to you that the Apostle Paul had a concussion and he was knocked out, which is no fun. I've been, I had that happen to me last September. So much so that everybody thought he was dead. But Timothy and Lois and Eunice were among those that not only saw life come into someone's feet, but saw life come into someone who is, should have been in intensive care, recovering from a horrible concussion with a brain bleed. Instead, he's up walking around and can walk out of town and keep preaching. This had a remarkable impression on this young lad. So he is having this experience of revival. And I suspect that this little church in Lystra had this overwhelming experience of revival and apostolic culture. And Paul goes back there later and ministers and strengthens them. But this is the context for great mothering for this boy, Timothy, who Paul in a, in a later says, the faith that was in grandma and mom dwells, lives mightily in you, Tim. I want you to see in this passage also that there's a, there's a promise portal. One of the secrets, probably the singularly most important secret to experience Revival fire, apostolic fire, passionate Jesus life in a way that energizes you, in a way that captures your attention and makes you, makes you feel like this whole thing is worth giving your whole life to are the promise, the promises of life in Jesus. Someone asked me at guy in a motorcycle in a Walmart parking lot. He said, yeah. His name is Tim. <laughs> yeah. I just talked a couple of days ago to one of your evangelists in your church. And I've been thinking about going to your church. I'm thinking about t- visiting your church. But I want to ask you a question. What's your favorite Bible verse? Put me on the spot. I have lots of favorite Bible verses. Usually it's the one I'm preaching on that week. But I said to him spontaneously, Romans 8. He who spared not his only son, will he not freely give us all things? There's other verses like that. Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless not first and foremost in our own experience, but in holy and blameless in his sight. He gives you the A plus and the 100% and the extra credit right up front and then he teaches you the lesson. One of the things that the Apostle Paul tells the Galatians church is, did you receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit By all the good works you did, by keeping the law, or by hearing about the gospel of grace? Implication, it's a rhetorical question, because of the preaching of grace. My friends, this platform 
of being righteousified by faith in Jesus Christ is electrifying, is energizing, is joy-producing. It is, it is a propelling of us into ministry and to ever-increasing dimensions of supernatural joy. It is a platform and foundational for everything else. You know that Jonathan Edwards in the first Great Awakening that actually started in a little church, the whole Great Awakening in Europe and in, uh, in, the, col- in the colonies started in a little church, of that uh, little town of 600 people. Jonathan Edwards preached a series on being justified, righteousified by grace alone through faith alone. The whole series on it. Out of that... That church became so energized, it doubled in size. And there was tons of testimonies, hundreds of testimonies in the town. The whole town started going to the church. Of course, the town only had 600, but you know. One young lady, teenager, had such a dramatic born-again experience that Pastor Jonathan Edwards wrote down her story and uh, it's a faithful narrative of the surprising work of God in Northampton, Massachusetts, in which hundreds of people came to life in Christ. That's my paraphrase of the title. It was a very long title. It was, it, it was prolifically read throughout the colonies, and revival spread, began to spread in the colonies. Someone took it to England, and John Wesley... And George Whitfield read it. It inspired them to start preaching outdoors. And I, and I stood on the corner of Worship Street and Church Street in London and just savored the memory of 100,000 people standing right here in this corner listening to John Wesley preach from the inspiration of the faithful narrative of a little church in Northampton, Massachusetts. Fire spread throughout England. And then they sent Whitfield and then uh, others back to preach in the colonies again. Because, you know, it's kind of weird about this. Something cool about this testimony is that the revival in Northampton only lasted about two or three years. But the sparks that flew out from the fire just, from the fire just continued to spread way after the revival was over. But when the the preachers from England came back to the colonies and began to preach in the colonies, the Great Awakening just surged. It was a tsunami of God's glory, a welling up of the glory of God. Church attendance tripled in a matter of just a year in all the colonies. fire. All started with a series on being righteousified by grace alone through faith alone. Maybe I should talk about it even more. Some of you think I talk about it too much. (laughs) Oh, lots of blessings that come from Jesus. Jesus stuff. But it starts with the promise. What is it Peter says in 1 Peter? That we, are partake, we partake of the precious promise. We partake of the divine nature when we read, we read the promises of God. 
Timothy knew from a child the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make him wise for salvation, Paul says later. He knew from a child the Holy Scriptures that would make him wise for salvation. You know, my grandma, both my grandmas were great grandma, great and wonderful grandmothers. My dad's mom and my mom's mom. I loved them. I have no complaints about them. But as I was thinking about them, I thought, you know what? They could have easily been more aggressive with me about the promises of God in the Scriptures. And I hope that as much as you enjoy your kids and your grandkids, that you do not neglect from the fire that's in you, the joy that's in you, to overflow into your children, into your grandchildren. Promises. My mom was really great at it, as was my Aunt Anna, who was blind, but she wanted to see me get the Bible stories in my hands. And, uh, and, it, and it worked. I was a theologian at age eight. John Wesley, the great, great awakening revivalist, when he was in his mother's womb, Susanna Wesley held the Bible and read it out loud. And she said every time she read it, this is God's word. Hear it, John. John means favor, favor of God. Here is God's word. Hear it, John, thou favored one of God. A motherly declaration of the potency and the power of the promises of God in the Bible. Later, she had a holy habit of Sunday afternoons after church. Her husband was a vicar, a pastor in the Church of England. And uh, he, was, uh, he was away speaking at another church one day. And uh, they had a guest speaker. But <laughs> she, the word got out that, she, that, Sus, that uh, Susanna, uh, that Susanna taught her children right after church, the Bible. And there was about a hundred that showed up in church. But over the course of several weeks, while her husband was out of town, I think she was concerned that he wouldn't let her do it. <laughs> he wouldn't let her have the Bible study and invite everybody to it. But she said, well, I'm teaching the kids. You guys come if you want. Guess how many people came? 200. <laughs> More than everybody that was in church. Why? As a mother, she was on fire to impart promise to her children. And it overflowed into the whole church life. The promise of life in Christ Jesus is... Are you listening to me? The promise of life in Christ Jesus is in Christ Jesus. It's in a person. As we experience the promise, we experience Jesus... Ran into a man at Thunderbird parking lot a couple weeks ago. Once in a while, as I'm trying to minister on the street, someone ministers more effectively than I do to, my, to me. Anyway, he says, I'm already born again. I love Jesus. And you know what? I take a hold of Jesus' hand every single morning, and I hold his hand all day long. 
And it had a special meaning to me because I, when I was in the hospital with my, the brain surgery issue from my motorcycle crash, this verse up here was one I quoted to myself dozens and dozens of times. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. And it was a, it was a re-centering of that impacting verse to me that he said that. I put something on Facebook about it. Like, you reach out to Jesus, he'll always hold your hand. In fact, the Bible says he'll not, he'll not let anything, anything take you out of his hand. He won't let anything take you out of his hand. I said, you reach out to Jesus. Anytime you reach out to Jesus to grab his hand, he will reach out to you and grab your hand. And I love uh, John Smith's response. <laughs> Wave at us, John. There he is back there. John, wave. There he is. He says, he says Dan, I never let go of his hand. <laughs> I like his answer better than mine. But the promise of life in Christ Jesus, life flows from a person, not just his blessings. Jesus Christ is ready to walk with each of us through the day and grab our hand every time we reach out for his. And he already has it. The Apostle Paul held on to Jesus' hand through thick and thin. When things were going amazingly great, thousands getting saved, miracles happening right or left and left, and during tough times as well, because the apostle knew he could rejoice because Jesus Christ with every difficult challenge is always working redemptively in the challenge. He does not send the problem but he always, always, always works redemptively in the problem, the challenge. Always. This, for instance, Second Timothy is, pa- is uh, Pastor Paul, <laughs> Apostle Paul's last letter. He's writing from the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. He's going to be beheaded in a few weeks. Going to die. Go to heaven. He's already suffering there. It's cold. He asked Timothy to bring his coat. But he still is operating and writing from this incredible joy, this incredible overflowing joy and anointing of experience with the life of Jesus Christ enveloping him. I suspect it works something like this. Jesus, I don't know what good you're going to get out of this yet. He probably doesn't know that 2 Timothy will be read by millions and millions of Christians for the next 2,000 years before Jesus comes. So he has to just write it by faith, knowing that there's something redemptive in Jesus. Jesus didn't send the problem, but he gets something good out of the problem. You may or may not see it, but you can always know it's going to happen. But there's another feature. You know what a problem always does? It moves you closer. 
to Jesus. If you let it. It makes you a true Jesus person. Jesus Christ is my bread. I eat cinnamon bagels every morning, two of them, with a coffee. No butter, no cream cheese. But I love cinnamon raisin bagels. I think of that when I think of the fact that when I face challenges, and I face, you've heard me talk about my challenges this this year, and you're probably going to hear some more about it. Sermon fodder. One thing that God's getting good out of it for me. I want to tell you something. I understand from first-hand experience that when you're in a tough spot, Jesus Christ is your bagel. He's he's your enough. He is your bread. He's the bread of life. You don't need anything else. Mother's Day can be kind of tough for for some people. I totally respect that. Some of you have lost your mom. Some of you had moms that were not good moms. Hurt people hurt people. Some of you wish you could have been moms, but it hasn't happened. didn't happen. So there's grief related to Mother's Day with, with, with many people. I want to tell you, Jesus is your bread. Jesus is your bagel. He's going to get something amazingly redemptive out of any trial you're facing, and you're identifying them in your own heart and your own mind right now. But I'm telling you, while you wait to know what it is, Make him your bread. He's the bread of life. 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 Jesus Christ is the bread of life. I think we're done. Stand up. I'm going to preach the rest of it some other time. One of the secrets to one of the secrets of pastoring and preaching is to quit before you quit. I'm going to pray for all the spiritual moms, which means all of you. Will you close your eyes for a moment? Very. Spiritual mom here and biological mom, we declare over you hope, encouragement, inspiration. We declare over you wisdom, destiny, success, favor. We declare over you with the deepest appreciation. We love you. We value you. We care about you. We want to serve you. We want to make you prosper. We want to bring smiles to your face and a song to your heart. We want to bring a dance to your step. More joy to your life. 
You have no idea how much we value you. God, in the name of Jesus, we know that our sentiments towards spiritual moms is an expression of the of the feelings of Jesus towards these wonderful sisters in Christ. We bless them. May they feel your encouragement through thick and thin. And may we as a church culture, an apostolic revival culture, provide for them a life context, an environment that will always help them to thrive in their Jesus journey. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.